Tonight I've entitled this, this, this uh, episode or this part, A Permanent Pleasure. Now, I got told off during the week, I said it, something that, that this rhymed. You know the way I try and use, and apparently it's not a rhyme, it's alliteration. Isn't that right, Lauren? <laughs> alliteration. So say with me, a permanent pleasure. Say it again. Good. So part seven, as I've said, where we've been uh, taking a bit of a detailed walk through Paul's epistle to the Colossians. A letter written around AD 70 from a prison cell in Rome to a recently planted church in the beautiful town of Colossa. And in part one or two, I just shared a little bit about Colossa. It was a growing and thriving town on the banks of a beautiful crystal clear river set in a delightful valley in the area known as Phrygia. And Phrygia was part of what would later come to be called Asia Minor, um, which is now, we know it as Turkey. And over the, the past two months, we've walked through the first half of chapter one. Yes, I know it's been slow. It's been steady. Um, but I do pray that you've been blessed by what God's word has had to say. As I always say, my opinion doesn't matter. My own thoughts don't matter. It's the word that matters. And that's what we're trying to get into tonight. I do pray that it has given you a bit more of an appetite to maybe study for yourself, even to read the Bible, and of course, to live by the word. What does the word say about itself? What does God's word have to say about itself? Just as a bit of an introduction tonight, a passage that we all know, Psalm 119, how sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through thy precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Say it with me, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Amen. And this little book, this little book of Colossians, this small, beautiful letter to the Colossians is absolutely no different. It was a light and it was a lamp for those in Colossa in AD 60 or AD 61 or 62. They're not just exactly sure. And you know what, church? The word, it can be a lamp for us today tonight, and it is a lamp and a light for us here at the Church of God in Glenmachan. Isn't that good news? Let us use the precious Word of God as a light to our feet and a lamp to our path. You know, the Word of God is totally sufficient. It's completely and fully sufficient to guide us and show us the way that we are to go. The Word of God is totally sufficient to lead us where the Lord wants us to go. He will show us the right way, His way, not our way, His way, through His precious Word, words that will never pass away. Isaiah 40, the prophet penned these remarkable words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The voice said, cry, and he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all the, godly, all the goodliness sorry, thereof is as the flower of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. 
The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, say it with me, but the word of our Lord shall stand forever. And what about the words from the lips of our master, the, the rabbi Jesus himself, recorded in Matthew 24 of his gospel? Verily I say unto you, verily that's truly, I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, say it, but my words shall not pass away. Last week, you will recall that we, just for, for, for a second week, talked about the Lord Jesus being the supreme and superior sustainer. Two weeks ago, we began to look at this passage, which some, as I said last week, believe to be an old Christian hymn, uh, an old Christian statement, or perhaps a song, which the Lord, by the hand of Paul, infused into this delightful and doctrinal letter to the saints in Colossa. You'll remember from last week's study that this passage is in chapter 1, and it's verses 15 to 20. And I showed you that many newer translations kind of set it apart as a poetic passage, just like you would see in the Psalms or in some of the other poetic literature found in the Old Testament. We talked about both sides of the debate, coming to the conclusion, you know what, either way, whether it was original to Paul or whether it was used by Paul, the Lord God in his providence, in his sovereignty, included this wonderful passage in Paul's letter to the, to the Colossians. the Colossians, And it's been there ever since. And it's there for us to read this evening. For all believers to feed and feast on. For all of us to read and study and apply to our everyday lives. And that's exactly what I believe the Lord wants us to do. Take the word, church. Take it. Hide it in your heart. Let it change you. Let it lift you. If you need lifted, let it lift you. Let it speak to you in the deep places of your heart and your mind and let it transform you. That's what the word can do. I love that passage where it speaks of the washing of the water by the word. The washing of water by the word. And I believe it's something that we all need. The precious and unchanging word of God. Now, let's go to our text for this evening. Tonight... We're going to finish up this section by looking at verse 19, and possibly, if we have time, verse 20 of Colossians chapter 1. Look, I thought it might be a good idea, once again, just to read it in its entirety from verse 15 right through to verse 20. So if you've got a Bible with you, um, turn to uh, verse 9 of Colossians 1, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to go back to verse 9 so that we can follow the flow um, of Paul as he writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So you can follow with me on the screen. And uh, hopefully you can see that. If you're, if you're over 40, you probably can't. <laughs> but Dave, you can see <laughs> Binoculars, yes. So let's read this, verse 9. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. 
who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible, invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things, say all things, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have their preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. Amen? Church, after being in this part of the word for so long, I think it's now one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, this section from 15 to 19. I absolutely love it. Full of so much wonderful truth and teaching and doctrine, so much incredible substance concerning who our Lord is, who our Savior is, the supreme and superior sustainer. What did we learn from our last two studies from this passage? Just quickly, we learned that Jesus is the sustainer of the universe, of everything, of all things, whether in heaven or on earth, whether they be principalities or powers. He created all things. All things were created for him, by him and for him. As the everlasting, eternal God, he put this universe together. That's incredible, church. And he continues to uphold it and sustain it by the word of his power. In him, all things, all things hold together. All things consist. All things remain. All things stand in unity as one, exactly the way he put it together. And what about us? What about his church? What about his ecclesia? his called out ones. What about us? Has he left us to ourselves? Has he left us without any sustenance or source of life? What do you think? No. He is also the supreme sustainer of his body, of the church, and he is its head. He's the source that that gives it all it needs. He gives it light. He gives it life. He gives it nutrients and vitamins and all that it needs to be and what he desires it to be and do. Remember we talked about that river head last week? He is like that head of the river, flowing into his body, giving it life and light. He's the head of the body, the church, the called out ones. Why? So that he can be number one. So that he might be number one. And he is number one, church. He is number one. He's ranked above all. He rules above all. He reigns above all. He is numero uno. I think that's Spanish, isn't it? I got an F in Spanish, so that's as far as mine goes. Church, there's no one beside him. No one. There's no one above him. No one. If you don't believe me, listen to the words written by Isaiah the prophet again, telling us who who this Lord, this God is. I am the Lord, and there is no one else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, 
though thou hast not known me, that they might know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is none else. I form the light, I create darkness, I make peace, I create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. Drop down, ye heavens, from above, and let the skies pour down righteousness. Let the earth open, and let them bring forth salvation, and let righteousness spring up together. I, the Lord, have created it. No extra commentary needed, church. None. I am the Lord. There is none beside me. There is no God beside me. I am the Lord. There is no one else. I, the Lord, do all these things, and I, the Lord, have created it. Amen. That's it said and done. Verse 5 in the New Living says this. Simple. I am the Lord. There is no other God. What can be clearer? What can be plainer? Couldn't have said it better myself, eh? He is the Lord and there is no other God. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence, for it pleased the Father that in him all fullness dwell. Verse 19 in the New Living, sorry, is like this. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. I love Young's literal translation. I know a few of you more elderly saints will know this book. Because in him it did please all the fullness to tabernacle. Isn't that wonderful, church? Read that again with me. Because in him it did please all the fullness to tabernacle. I love that word tabernacle. A very quick recap just before we get into verse 19. This supreme, superior, and sovereign sustainer that we've been talking about. Who is he? I just want to give you a little list. He's the visible form of the invisible eternal spirit, the almighty God. He's the prior heir of all creation. He's the one in whom the whole universe was created. He's the one who was before all creation and is over all creation. He's the one in whom the universe in all its glory coheres and holds together. He's the one who is the head of the ecclesia, the assembly, his church, his own body. He's the one who is the firstborn from the dead, the one who is the first in rank with all the preeminence. And now, now what does Paul tell us? He's the one in whom all God's fullness dwells. He's the one in whom God's fullness is tabernacled. He's the one in whom all fullness lives and resides. Church, this is a glorious and wonderful truth for us this evening. You have to understand here that in Colossa, at the time of Paul writing this letter, We've talked about the false teaching. You know, there was many false teachers who were bringing heresy and teaching error into the church. They were making Jesus Christ out to be something he was not. And you know, the specific issue that was being debated was whether or not this divinity, or maybe a better term to use would be this godness, this godhead, whether it was a permanent fixture in the man Jesus Christ. This was the debate that was going on. You see, many were teaching that this human-divine connection and collision, this human-divine mix that was found in the man Christ Jesus was temporary and not eternal or permanent. So what does Paul do? 
He fixes it. And he writes directly to the believers in Colossae and says no. He says no. Do not listen to this nonsense. Here is the truth, church. It pleased God to have all the fullness of divinity, all the fullness of deity, all the fullness of godness dwell in the man, Jesus Christ. Not temporarily, but permanently. Forever. What does forever mean? Forever. Forever and ever. It was a permanent pleasure. A permanent pleasure. You see, this was not a a while Jesus walked on the earth thing. It was a permanent forever thing. The false teachers were also stating and teaching that Christians needed other beings, angels, spirits, alongside Jesus to understand and see God in his truest form. They were saying that to attain more knowledge concerning God, they taught that other beings, angelic, pagan, superstitious, mystic, were needed. But Paul here utterly and plainly contradicts all of these notions in one swoop of his sword. He says, Jesus Christ is sufficient. Jesus Christ alone is sufficient. He is all you need to see and know about God because he is God. He contains all the fullness of God, tabernacled, shaped, residing in human form. Jesus made the invisible spirit visible, church, and the unknowable spirit knowable. Isn't that incredible? My mouth's so dry tonight. (laughs) Church, we know Jesus Christ, he was God with skin on. And Paul was doing all he could to get this message to the believers in Colossae who were being bombarded on all sides with this superstitious, mystical, pagan, and Gnostic nonsense. Church, let me make it clear tonight. You need nothing else but Jesus Christ. You don't need any other beings. You don't need any angels. You don't need any spirits. You don't need any ghosts. You don't need anything He alone is sufficient. You don't need any additional deities. You don't need any additional gods to show you who God is. Because we know who he is. Jesus Christ. You only need to look at Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of Man, the great I am. Or as Paul put it so perfectly to his young friend Timothy, God was manifest in the what? The flesh. God was manifest in the flesh. He alone is the one in whom God dwells in all fullness, in all his glory, in all his power, in all his majesty. Church, what a mystery this evening. The incarnation, that moment in time when God came and took on the form of a lowly and humble man, a lowly and humble baby, in meekness and in mercy, and lived for 30 years on this earth. It still amazes me, friends. I still can't wrap my mind completely around it. But it's the truth of the word of God. Look, one thing I want to point out in verse 19 as we move on is that the words, the Father, are nowhere to be found in the Greek text. In your King James, they'll actually be in italics. But due to the context, the translators chose to keep them in. And that's why some other translations have in him. 
So we can have this verse translated, it pleased the Father or it pleased him, referring to the Father. Both fit the context, so we won't fight about this either. Don't be coming to see me after, because I'm going upstairs to get a cup of tea. What we do know, what we do know, church, is that it pleased the Father. We know that for sure. It pleased the Father. Eudokeo. I'm going to do a wee word study. Eudokeo. To think well of, to approve of something or someone. To think good of, to be well pleased, to take pleasure in, to delight in. Listen to this. To be favorably inclined towards. That verse in the New Testament, there's a verse in the New Testament that popped right into my mind at this moment. Matthew recording the event of Jesus' baptism by his cousin John. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, or in whom I take great delight. Church, what is God so pleased about here? What is the Father pleased about? Well, he was pleased that in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, that all the fullness of divinity would come to dwell. That's what God was pleased. And you know what? We should be pleased about that too. But God was pleased about it. How do we know this for sure? Well, because Paul will tell us in just a few moments as he continues to write. And you know what? It did. That divinity, that fullness dwelt within Jesus Christ in all of its glory, in all of its majesty, and in all of its power. Paul knew it and believed it, and so should we. Look, let's spend a little time on this word, fullness. I hope that's okay. It's an important word in this passage, and it was an, actually an important word in the culture uh, when the Colossians lived. It's the word pleroma, pleroma. <laughs> It comes from a root word which means repletion and completion. Subjectively, subjectively, words with more than two syllables get me all the time. (laughs) Subjectively, it is that which fills, as in contents or supplements. Objectively, it is what is filled, like a container, a performance, or a period. Look, it's a word that's used 17 times in the King James to translate Playroma. Look, simply put, it's this. That which is filled or that which has been filled, that which fills or with which a thing is being filled, it's fullness or abundance, and it's a fulfilling or a keeping. And I've said this term was an important term in Gnostic circles and in Gnostic teaching, and that's why Paul uses it here in this section of the letter. He's trying to come against what they're teaching in the church. Pleroma was thought of in this culture as the abundance or totality of the divine attributes. And you know, many teachers were using it to speak of all sorts of weird and wonderful angels and spirits and deities and gods. But church, it can only be used of one person in relation to the one true God, and that person is Jesus Christ. That's it. There's no room for anyone else. We all know Colossians 2.9 in this church. I told you Paul would make it clear for the, for the readers and for us. What is it that dwells in Jesus Christ, the God-man? What is it exactly? Colossians 2.9. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. 
God's word translation, I love this, all of God lives in Christ's body. Isn't that wonderful, church? What was filling Jesus Christ? What was Jesus full of? The Godhead, the Godness, all the divinity of the one true God. And this greatly pleased the Father. It gave him great pleasure and great delight. It pleased the Father that in his Son, in the person, the man Christ Jesus, that all this fullness, all this divinity, all the glory and power would dwell. Would dwell. And that's our third important word for tonight. Dwell. Katoikeo. To house permanently. You see the word permanently? From earlier on. All this talk about it being temporary. No, no, no. Paul says to house permanently. Was this indwelling permanent or temporary? Temporary. Was this Jesus God eternally? Paul gives an emphatic yes. Yes, yes, yes. In Jesus Christ, all the fullness, all the deity of God, all the godness, and all that comes along with being God is housed permanently. The deity and godness of the one true God dwells and inhabits this man, Jesus Christ, forever, church, permanently. God tabernacled among men. Not a one-off thing, not only for a period of time, but for all eternity. The fullness of God was now living in a permanent abode. I love that word, abode. A permanent abode. It also means chosen. This word chosen, Jesus was chosen. That is important. That was a decision that the Almighty God made. Christ was chosen to contain all the fullness of deity and divinity. And it was a permanent choice. Permanent this was the result of the Father's good pleasure, and he now delighted in it. Church, all the dignity of God, all the authority of God, the power of God, the moral excellence of God, the majesty of God was now found in a permanent abode. The Son of God, the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In him alone, church, in Jesus Christ, dwells and, and resides all the fullness of Godness, of the Godhead bodily. Amen. 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 Thank you. you see, church, this, this union of divine and human was not temporary, as the false teachers were trying to say. It was permanent. It was forever. Jesus Christ was God in all his fullness then, and he's all his fullness right now. And you know what? In no respect is Jesus Christ deficient in power, in glory, in wisdom, in grace, in mercy, in love, in honor, in majesty, in compassion, in grace. He's deficient in nothing because he is the almighty God. That's the truth tonight. And there's none beside him and there's none like him. No one compares to him. No one ever has and no one ever will. He was a complete one-off. They can try, but they will fail because he's the one true supreme, sovereign, and superior sustainer. And he is the fullness of the Father. Amen? 
He's the fullness of the eternal spirit. He's the sustainer and source of the church, his body, and he's the one who upholds the universe by the word of his power. Look, church, I'm going to come to a close. We didn't even make it to verse 20. I promised I would finish verse 20 tonight, and I lied, but you can forgive me. But we will do it at some point. Look, I know it makes very little sense to us, but I would love to read you what the Greek literally says in this verse, just so you can see where the translate, what they actually have to work with. It's very difficult, and you can see how hard it is for them. Here is Colossians 1.19 in the Greek word order. It, does, it won't make any sense to me or you, but you'll see where it comes from. That because in he, she, it to think well of all the repletion to house permanently. Now, don't be worrying about the she. It's just, it's a neutral noun, okay? So it can be he or she. That because in he, she, it to think well of all the repletion to house permanently. God thought it well to do this, to house his fullness in Jesus Christ permanently. The fullness of the divinity, the Godhead and the godness of the eternal spirit was to dwell forever in a permanent abode, a permanent dwelling place in the person of Jesus Christ. And you know what, church? This brought the Father so much delight and so much pleasure, and it should bring us the same this evening. Church, he is forever God eternal. It's fixed, it's permanent, and it will always be. A permanent pleasure. God manifest in the person, the man Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Lamb of God, who came to take away the sins of the world, and he is worthy of all our praise. Can you say amen to that? Look, can I just leave you with some truly wonderful comments from those who know the Scriptures far better than I ever will? And I want you to hear their words concerning this. Now, I don't have any names for these comments, but I think they just work perfectly with our topic this evening. All that divine nature, in all its sweetness, in all its infinite wealth of tenderness and power and wisdom is embodied in Jesus Christ. Do you hear that? In all its sweetness. I love that. He, that's God, has put his whole name in that messenger of a new covenant by whom he has finally declared his whole character to us, even his son, in whom it was the good pleasure of the Father that all the fullness should dwell. I love this one. Manhood is wedded to divinity in the perpetual humanity of Jesus Christ. Amen. Church, it was a permanent pleasure. All the fullness of the Father, every last drop and ounce filled up Jesus Christ and it filled the Father so much. Let me leave you with the words of Paul to his young brother in Christ, his beloved friend, the young Timothy. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, 
who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. Stand with me, church, will you? And let's, let's read the last two verses together. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Jesus Christ, the permanent pleasure. Amen, church. Thank you so much for your attention tonight. Let's sing together. Let's sing together.